0: thanks for checking out the lakeshore podcast if this is your first time listening with us we want you to know god loves you we want for your hope in jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life wherever you are joining us from we hope this message encourages you well if you brought a bible i hope you're ready for a bible teaching because i am pretty stirred up about this one um, all of the Bible changes our life, but this one was a life changer for me some 30-something years ago when I began to get a hold of what it meant to really trust the Lord, really walk in faith, not just the generic term, but really, really walk in faith and uh, to become a partner with God's plan with what he's wanting to do. If you brought a Bible today, open it up to three different openings if you like to turn. Uh, we're going to look at James chapter 1. Uh, you'll hear me mention Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 first, then we're going to James chapter 1, and we're going to grab a verse or 2. Then we're coming right back to Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, you'll know that we're rounding the corner for the end of the study when we get to Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18. So Hebrews 11, James 1, and Luke chapter 18. For those of you that are just joining us, uh, we're, we're in the second part of a three-part mini-series. And it's all based in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, that says that uh, there's three essential things you need to understand if you're going to grow in Christ, if you're going to live a victorious life. You need to understand what the Bible means about faith. You need to understand what the Bible's talking about it when it talks about love. And you need to understand what the Bible's referencing when it talks about hope. And then it says, and the greatest of these, between the three, the greatest, the most weighty and important one is love. So we went back and grabbed that one first, and we did a little mini series on what the love of God means, what it means to us personally, and how once we begin to recognize how much God really does love us, then it can not only flow to us, but it can flow through us, and we can begin to reflect that love in the way we treat other people. Then we talked about hope. And we discovered that from the Bible, hope's not at all the way we use it in culture. It's not like a wish or kind of a desire, like, wouldn't that be great if? But hope is a picture that God frames in that helps us to know what kind of a future we can expect because God's partnered with us and here's what he's promising and hope frames that in for us. And so last week we started the final part of this mini series and we're talking about love. And today we're going to talk about understanding the partnership in faith. But last week we started in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 that says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we answered three simple questions and it's really important that I bring you back into that so we can build on that understanding as we look at today. We first uh, looked from the Bible as what, what is faith? And there's three different things, the three different kinds of faith the New Testament talks about. But we're zeroing in on this everyday trusting relationship with God. Not something that's just theoretical, not something that's just mystical and religious, but a real boots on the ground. Do we really trust that God is telling us the truth and God's gonna do what he promised he would do? And so we went back to the definition of faith. It comes from the Greek word pistis. And it means not just to believe something, because lots of people believe the Bible. Well, yeah, it's right there in black and white. That's what the Bible says. I believe the Bible. But faith is not just a belief. Faith is a belief that, that convinces you of something to the point that you'll begin to adjust things in your life. You won't live like one way when you're, when you're in the middle of your week, and then you come and you put on your religious part because we believe the Bible. Well, no, they, they become all-consuming And so we found out that Bible faith really is a measurement of your real-time trust in God as you're walking in a real-time relationship with him. And if we include what Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, really that focuses in on whether or not you really believe that God is willing to keep his promise to you in whatever situation you're, you're in. We know that God can do anything. The big question where it really measures our trust in him is, but will he do it for you? And that's really the crux of faith. This is what the whole New Testament was wrapped around. So then we said, well, where, where do we get that kind of faith? Where does it come from? And Romans 10, 17 says that it comes by hearing the word of God. And we looked at that term word. It's actually the Greek word rama, And it's talking about something that's spoken with a living voice from a living person. And really, it's the word within the word. It's like maybe you're at church sometime, uh, maybe you're reading your Bible, maybe you're listening to a podcast or in some other conversation, and all of a sudden, something just jumps. And you're like, I I, I think I've read that a hundred times, but I've never seen that before. That's a word inside of the word. That's a word for you. Something's being highlighted to you in that moment. In fact, for some of you, that's already happened this morning. You've already experienced that. Something was jumped up in your heart and you thought, boy, I I don't know if I've seen that before or not, but man, it just feels fresh to me. It feels like it's bringing something. If it hasn't happened yet, I can promise you, if you'll open your heart, it will happen. Because every time that we open the word of God, every time we open ourselves to the Holy Spirit, he starts talking to us. And so faith comes when, when God brings something to life And you begin to recognize this is what he's actually saying to me. And then finally we looked last week at how do we get faith. And we we looked at Mark chapter 4 and found out that just like farmers are sowing seeds in the ground to get a crop. Whenever we give opportunity, the Holy Spirit is sowing the seeds of the word of God in our heart. And it's important you let the metaphor come with you because the seeds of God's word are like seeds on a farm, tiny little packages of potential none of them look like what they're going to look like in their final form. But you put that little tiny thing in the ground and you cover it over and you start splashing some water on it and eventually you've got something that will feed your family you've got a whole tree and the Bible says the word of God works the same way. You might be desperate for God to to give you some direction or to do something in your life. And the Holy Spirit comes and he hands you a tiny little thought, a tiny little insight, a tiny little something that jumps up in your heart. And in and of itself, you're thinking, well, that doesn't fix my problem. But if you'll let it get planted in your heart, The Bible said it begins to take root and it begins to grow, and not only does it produce something in you, but that production in you allows God to produce something outside of you. And this is how the life of faith works. It's not a secret in the Bible, it's not super complicated but it has some uh, unchangeable mechanisms and some parts about how we go in this relationship with God. In fact, let me give you one more scripture. This is, wasn't in your workbook last week. Uh, it's not in your one this time, but let me just reaffirm one more time It's because it's all over the Bible. Listen to James chapter one. We're gonna read two verses, 21 and 22. This is Pastor James, super practical pastor, right? He doesn't get super deep into theology. He's more about boots on the ground. Don't tell me what you believe let me just watch your life and I'll tell you what you believe because if you really believe it, you're living it out to the best of your ability. And here's what he says in James chapter one, verse 21 and 22. He says, therefore, lay aside all filthiness now that's important because this particular phrase uh, describes someone whose body and whose clothing has become so dirty and so soiled, like over a period of time, that they're they're emitting this odor that's almost unbearable. I mean, even the kindest person's like, "Oh man, gee, you need to take a shower. You need to step back," and 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 they're but they don't realize it, right? They become accustomed to the smell. and and to being dirty, but they're, they're emitting such a foul odor that it's literally repelling people. And so he says, listen, you need to take that off. You, You need to get undressed and get in the shower. You need to change that kind of lifestyle. Notice this, it says, and the overflow of wickedness. And so the first part, when he's talking about uh, all of this filthiness, he's talking about our outward behaviors, our patterns of life. And he said, even if you don't think it's bad, God finds it repugnant if you're not living according to him. And he says, listen, you, you need to be willing to lay that aside. But not only that, he said, also make sure you're addressing the overflow of wickedness. And where the, uh, where, where the filthiness is talking about outside, this is talking about what happens inside. And it's very graphic in the original language. It's talking about something that is putrid, something that is so evil, but it's the source. It's like finding that rotten you know, piece of food that's making the whole refrigerator smell. And you finally get that thing out of there, and then you can clean everything up, and everything's fine again. He's saying, don't just look at your outward behavior. Look at what's going on inside and the real putridness of happening in your thought life and and in your belief system and in your your unbridled passions and desires. He says, address all of that. And as you address that, something will happen. And this is how you address it. He says, and receive with meekness. Means a teachability. Means, come on, put your pride aside, humble yourself and recognize God's smarter than you. He says, receive with meekness the implanted word. Remember Mark chapter four, the seeds that are implanted, which is able to save your soul. But listen to verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only because that would be deceiving yourself. So in other words, he's saying, it's not just that you believe the Bible's true. It's not just that you came to church. "Mm, Yeah, that's good. Boy, I, I never saw that before. But if you don't walk away and say, Holy Spirit, help me to adjust now help me to begin to live this out, then you're not in faith, even though you think you're a person of faith, you're self-deceived because it's not faith until you believe it and trust it to the point that you're allowing it to step into your life. Now, that's really important that we understand because as we come back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, this is known by most scholars as the, the heroes of faith chapter. This is a record of all of those patriarchs who by faith, just watched incredible, sometimes impossible things happen, not just in their own life, but in the lives of their family, in the lives of generations, and in some cases, in the lives of whole nations, because they just simply trusted and believed God as a seed, a little thought, a little idea was planted, and they allowed that to begin to grow, and God used that and literally changed the course of, of many, many things. Listen to Hebrews 11, 1 again. Now faith... Believing to the point that you're convinced is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That word substance is important because in the original language, it, it really represents something that stands underneath or something that stands by something, or something that brings support. So you could look at the legs of the table, or you could look at a stake you drive in the ground to support your, you know, your garden and your vegetable plants, or, or you could look at something that, that you know, that's braced up against something else to keep it from wobbling. Any of those support systems is what this word substance means. And here's what it's telling you, that once you are persuaded, once you are divinely convinced... That the word of God is true, that God's telling the truth. Something happens on the inside, and you're able to confidently stand, you're able to confidently partner with God's word for as long as it takes until God does what he says. Circumstances, you know, are maybe getting worse, maybe not moving at all, but you're able to stand there and say, Nope, I'm not gonna move, I'm gonna keep on trusting the Lord because God promised me, and that's that's a measurement. That, that's a, an indicator that faith has taken root in your heart. So let's hold on to that. Let's keep reading. We're in verse 2. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 2 says, "...for by it the elders obtained a good testimony." Other translations talk about these patriarchs of faith. These are all the great stories we read in the Bible. These are all those people that, you know, that were originally part of the Old Testament Israel. And, and they were just learning about a relationship with God. And they were hanging on to some tiny little promise sometimes. He says those, those are the elders. Those are the ones that have come before. And by it they have gained a, a, a good testimony. Some translations say they, they became pleasing to God. Now this is important. As you read through the list, there's some incredible things that they did, but that's not what gave them a good testimony with God. This is really important. God's not looking at the result as much as he's looking at the trust. What gave them a good testimony was by faith. They trusted God enough to, do, to, to step out and do what he said, and then the results became up to the Lord. And these results are incredible, but we read them and we call them heroes of faith, not because, not, not our, our initial reaction is not because that they were such, you know, the convicted people, but because look what they accomplished. It wasn't about the accomplishment with the Lord. By faith, they obtained a good report. Look at verse number three. It goes on and says, so by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. If we keep reading, verse four says, by faith, Abel, and it goes into the list. And, and if you're, if you're reading conscientiously at all, you're like, wait, 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 what, what just happened? Because he's talking about the elders and how they trusted the Lord and were pleasing to God and obtained a great reputation because of their trust. And then it talks about creation, that God created the, you know, the worlds and because the Bible says in the beginning, God said and God said and God said, and then it goes back to the elders. That feels really confusing because those elders weren't there at creation. They came long afterwards. And so, why did we go from the elders to creation and then right back to the elders again without any real, you know, explanation? And it makes perfect sense when you understand two words that are poorly translated in most of the New Testament uh, translations. Now, listen, I'm not a Bible translator, but I am someone who reads and studies. And so, this is not my opinion, but I'm. But this is a. A kind of a most popular opinion. In fact, it's a, an actual fact when we look at the words. The word worlds here is not referring to galaxies or planets. The word worlds here is the word ionis in the Greek. And there's other words that could have been used that referred to the ball of dirt we live on and the other ones floating around the galaxy. But this particular word ionis is used consistently without interruptions everywhere else uh, to, to talk about periods of time. It's talking about dispensations or eras in history throughout the history of mankind, and it says that these worlds or these periods of times were framed. And that particular Greek word is karatizo, and it actually is used everywhere else, that anytime you're going to arrange something in its proper order, or anytime you walk in and you realize something's gone to chaos and you're going to rearrange it, You're gonna put it back into its proper order. And so in your workbooks, if you chose to grab one, by the way, they're totally free and you can download them if you like digital stuff. But in your workbooks, there's an expanded translation. I didn't write it. But it's an expanded translation if we were to take the word faith and and, and, and the word substance and all of those and expand it. Here's what it legitimately would read if you're transliterating, if you're going word by word, definition by definition. This is what Hebrews 11, 2 and 3 would read. By faith we can see how the elders listed below, having been persuaded by the Holy Spirit that God was telling the truth, stood strong in their partnership of faith setting them apart as heroes of faith. Verse 3, through them, we can also see how their willingness to remain in partnership of faith, in spite of the impossibility of their circumstances, allowed God to literally change their world to the point that we can still see the results today. Now, this is really important because, again, for you to come back and understand Faith or trust, like in any relationship you're in today, is a very real, a very measurable, and a very personal thing that happens in your relationship with God. It's super important that you recognize that. And by the way, it's one of the number one things that God's looking for, like it's one of the number one things you're looking for in relationships, right? You want to be in a relationship with someone you can trust and someone who's trusting you. You don't want to constantly have to be qualifying and second guessing and wondering this and wondering that. That's not a healthy relationship. And this is what the Bible speaks about with faith. So if we were to just kind of keep reading from there, when you read the rest of Hebrews chapter 11, it's like this made-for-movie TV, right? It's this roller coaster of intense highs, like, wow, that was awesome. And then intense, you know, these dramatic parts where, ah, it doesn't look like they're gonna make it, and I don't know if it's gonna work. And then all of a sudden it works out of nowhere, and how did that happen? And it's, it's got all this drama that goes all over the place. Until you get to the end of the chapter, And all of a sudden, the end of the chapter just seems to drop off a cliff. Because at the end of the chapter, you find out that there's some of these heroes of faith that actually died and went on into eternity, never experiencing the promise that they believed God told them would happen. And they hung on to that and took their last breath and never experienced that. And when you're looking at that, you're like, wait, 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 that's like really contradictory. Right? How can we see that Bible hope is God framing in a picture that we can expect our future to look like? How can we say that faith is being persuaded deepest to the deepest part of our core that God's telling us the truth and we're expecting that to happen if the very people that initiated this, you know, throughout the first uh, thousand years of the Bible, if if it didn't even work? How in the world can we do that? And we get the answer right there in Hebrews chapter 11, right at the very end. Now listen to this. I'm gonna trade translations. We're gonna go at a really contemporary one because I wanna make it as simple as possible because we don't have time to really dig in and study. But listen to Hebrews chapter 11, the last two verses as it finishes off uh, this, this record of the heroes of faith. It says, Hebrews eleven thirty nine 39 and 40. It says, God was pleased with all of them because of their faith. Remember, it's not about the result, it's about did you trust me or not? But not one of them received God's great promise. We have to ask why. (laughs) You're just not being honest with the Bible, you're not really leaning in to understand relationship unless you're willing to say, but why, why, why? And it tells us, God planned something better for us. He wanted to make us perfect. The word teleos in the Greek, it means he wanted to bring us to full blossom or to full maturity, of course, he wanted those great people to be made perfect too, but not before we could all enjoy that blessing together. And you're like, uh, okay, I mean, but gee, he's God. He could have figured out another way. Why would he do that? And let me just let me give you a short answer. Because God thinks bigger than we do. He does. You and I tend to think in situations and circumstances, right? Whatever's going on in you, whatever you're thinking about, whatever you're strategizing about, whatever you're praying about, whatever's keeping you up at night, it has to do with something that's happening right now or you feel like you're on the threshold. We think about situations and circumstances. God thinks about seasons, about generations, about eternity, He's got a much bigger time frame he's looking at. And, and you don't have to be kind of weirded out about that. Like, yeah, but you know, see, that's what I mean. How do you form a relationship? Listen to me, if you're a parent, I can almost promise you, you're doing the exact same thing right now. I won't ask it to you, but if I were to ask you to raise your hand, how many of you would be willing to raise your hand and say, right now, I'm doing something, or we're planning on on how we do something in a way that's not convenient, it's not easy, it it won't be the cheapest, and it's definitely not the funnest, but it will be, be the best result for our family and for our children so they can enjoy future generations. If you're any kind of a parent, that's your trajectory. You're sacrificing right now. And, and the kids don't understand that all the time, right? I want it, I want it, I want it. Why can't I have it? You, you don't love me. You don't understand my life, you know? But as parents, we're not thinking so limited. We're trying to look farther out. God put that kind of perspective in our heart, and that's how we're doing this. Listen to me. God is doing the same exact thing with you and I. And you have to begin to understand if you're gonna recognize a life of faith and what it really means to trust the Lord then you're going to have to begin to recognize, listen, your faith is not always about you. God's asking you to trust him in things that really aren't aren't always just about your situation or your circumstance, although that's what you're thinking and God's trying to get you to think something differently. Uh, let me pull from a couple of things last week because it's really important that we're weaving all of this together. Last week we said this is why it's so important that you recognize right from the beginning that the life of faith is personal, it's not just generic faith, but it's personal. It's what is God saying to you. Yes, there's the general truth, the general word of God that the words written on the page tells us this is God's character, this is his heart, this is God's intention, this is what he wants to see happen in the lives of all of his kids. But then there's God's personal word to you and faith comes by the personal word. I know God wants to bless me, but here's what the Holy Spirit's saying to me right now. He's shaping something, he's doing something in my heart so that not only I, I can receive the blessing and it actually not benefit me, not hurt me or distract me, but he's doing this so that in the future, his blessings and he can move even, even a wider and he can bless, bless other people through me. See, all of those things are happening. In fact, Debbie and I were having dinner with our youngest daughter, Brianna, uh, and her husband, Matthew, last night. And I don't remember what we were talking about, but out of the blue, Brianna said, hey, I have a question said, I've never got to ask you guys this. And she brings something up like from way, way back when we had three kids living in our house. And, and uh, she said, you remember you guys let Brandon do and, and she, you know, mentioned what it was. And I said, yeah, I remember that. She said, yeah, but then later on, you know, when I got to that stage, you would never let me do that. You said, no. I said, and she said, why is that? And I said, well, that's very simple. I said, Mom and I made a prayerful decision right then with Brandon. We were willing to lose the battle to win the war. We chose to give Brandon something that we really didn't think was the best for him, but it would help him to understand, hey, we're working with you. And we love you. We are paying attention to the things that are important to you because there were bigger things and other things that were at stake and we needed to leverage that trust and leverage that heart so we could put other things on the table. And as soon as I said that, she said, oh, that makes total sense. She said, I should have asked you a long time ago. I've been wondering about it all these years thinking, well, maybe you loved him more than me. Maybe you just, just it, no, it has nothing to do with that. And that leads us to the second thing we looked at last week that's so important. Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine says this, the secret things belongs to the Lord our God But those things which are revealed belong to us and are passed on to our children forever so that we may do all the words of this law. He's not talking about the Mosaic law with all the, you know, you got to wash your hands the right way and you can't walk this way and you can't eat these certain things. He's talking about the laws of God. This is the way the kingdom works. These are the laws of sowing and reaping. These are the laws of reciprocity. These are the laws of generosity. He's talking about those laws. He said, we have to understand there's two different sets of things we're dealing with. God's word is going, to reveal, uh, is going to reveal secret things. In other words, something's gonna happen. You're like, why'd you do that? And the Lord's gonna lovingly and warmly say, that's none of your business. Or there's gonna be things in your life where you're believing God because you see a promise in the Bible and all the promises are already yes and you're saying, Lord, I need that one and and I'm gonna receive that one for me and the Holy Spirit's gonna say, okay, I totally wanna do that with you but here's a couple of things that we need to work on first or here's the way I want to give you that or bring you into that because if I bring you into it this way, not only are you gonna benefit, you're gonna take your whole family with you. See, those are personal things. Those are secret things. And let me tell you, when it comes to living our Christian life, I'm not responsible for the secret things between you and the Lord. But I am responsible for the things that are revealed plainly in the Word of God. One doesn't cancel the other. But I can't tell you how many Christians are wrestling with that. Well, you know, but but the promise can't be true just like it says because I know somebody else who tried to believe that and it didn't work. That's a secret thing. I can't give you all the answers to that. But I'm not responsible for those secret things. I'm responsible for what the Lord said in the general knowledge, the revealed word. That's what I step out on a platform. And then I say, Holy Spirit, now talk to me. How do you want to do this in my life? What needs to change and adjust so that I can experience all that you have for me? When you keep it in relationship context, it, of course it makes sense. That's exactly what we're doing. That's exactly how we're living because it's the healthiest way to live, right? We, we have this general promise that we make. We love you, you know, parents and children or spouses and we love you. I'm here for you. My whole life is there. Will you do this? No, I can't do that. I thought you said you'd do anything for me. Well, I will, but let's qualify that. If you want me to do that, we've got to do this, 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 and this first. And then we're going to have to wait a little longer. No, you can't have the keys to the car because you're 14, I thought you loved me, I do love you. And in two years, I'll demonstrate that love in a whole nother way. And see, this is the same stuff going on with us, but we have to come back and recognize it's all packaged in relationship. If you're just trying to pull a promise out of the Bible promise book, and you're saying, yep, see, that's how it works, it's not ever going to work for you like that, ever. And you're going to be frustrated and confused and disappointed, but if you come back and do what the Bible says. Now, let me give you a living example that you can track in your Bible so you can see I'm not making this stuff up or I'm not just pulling from a cultural relevance and bringing it and making it a theological truth, all right? Let's take the Apostle Paul. He started out as Saul and he was not a nice guy to the church. He was passionate, but he was passionately wrong. He was literally killing Christians. He was ripping their families up. He was displacing them to other, other places. They had to flee for their lives. They're leaving family businesses. I mean, he was a known terrorist to the church. And the, the New Testament church heard about this young guy and feared him. But in Acts chapter 9 we find out that he's on his road he's on the way to Damascus and he's got I mean he's he's going to terrorize the church in Damascus and he's confronted by the Lord Jesus himself. And and Saul becomes Paul because he humbled himself and he literally asked for repentance, and he said, I, I get it now. I didn't get it before, and God called him into the ministry. But now let me just put on pause for a second. This is the same Paul that would later write in Ephesians chapter 1 that you and I have already been blessed with all blessings in spiritual places. That we've literally been elevated and seated in, in the heavilies with Christ. We have a place at the table. We carry an authority as God's children. And we're literally off limits to the enemy. He's going to attack us, but he does it illegally. Because we're, we've been redeemed from that. He doesn't get to touch us anymore. But because he's a thief, because he's a terrorist, he's, he'll still try but all of these things Paul said in First Corinthians chapter 8, he's writing here and he says, you do know about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? That, for, for, that although he was rich, for your sake he became poor so that through his poverty you could become rich in Christ. And he's not just talking about spiritual things, he's talking about all the provisions that we need so we don't have to live beat up, beleaguered lives in earth but we can live according to the blessings of God and the provision of a of a good heavenly father see he's writing these kinds of things but he's also the same guy in second corinthians chapter 4 that talks about hey let me just kind of tell you my experience he said i've been persecuted i've been beat up i've been i've been in riot he said i've been struck down he said but every time god just helps me to get through it and get back up and keep going you're like well which one is it are you blessed are you untouchable Or are you constantly just getting pummeled by every situation of life? And we find out the answer right here in Acts chapter 9, right when he gets born again. God speaks to a man named Ananias, who, by the way, heard Saul was coming and was like, this is a bad guy, really bad guy. But God talks to him and says, nope, I want you to go pray for him. Because I, uh, I met him on the road and uh, he's given his heart to me now and I want you to go pray for him. And Ananias is, is kind of arguing like, whoa, 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 hold on for a second. This guy has just destroyed people's lives. But listen to what it says, Acts chapter 9, verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Ananias, go, for he's talking about Saul, who again is now Paul, is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, before kings, and before the children of Israel. Listen to verse 16. For I will show him how many things he must must suffer for my namesake. And Ananias is like, yeah, tell me about that, right? (laughs) Right? Because he needs some payback. That's not fair that he just gets off scot-free after he's screwed everybody's life up. He needs some payback. Tell me about that. But what God was saying, that's none of your business. You don't worry about how I'm gonna take care of him, how I'm gonna shape Paul's life. You don't worry about that. I need you to go pray for him because I'm gonna have a conversation between me and Paul, and I'm gonna let him know this is not going to be easy, and it's not gonna be fun. You're going right into the middle of the very thing you helped to create. And you're going to have to go back and begin to unpack and unravel that. And that's exactly what we read about with Paul. And so this is really important because there's lots of times you're like, yeah, but I just don't feel like the Lord's listening. But it just doesn't seem like anything's happening. Again, coming back to faith and saying, but what did God promise me? I'm not talking about just what the Bible says What did God promise me? Now, here's where we're going to wrap it up today. We're at Luke chapter 18, so we're landing the plane. So you want to grab your workbook, your notes, uh, if you'd like to take those. And I'm just going to walk down. We're going to look at three really important truths about partnership, and they all come in one parable that Jesus told. Lots of people are familiar with this parable. Some of them understand it rightly. Others of them take portions of it and kind of, you know, take it off the path of the intended, uh, the intended truth here. But we're going to read it and do the best we can to let the Bible speak. Luke 18, I'm in verse number one. Then he, that's Jesus, spoke a parable to them, those are those people that were uh, listening to him, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Now, this is important because he's going to tell them a story, but the whole reason for the story is he wants them to understand this truth. If you're going to be walking with Christ, you need to learn how to pray and not lose heart. And so it's important we understand well, what does that even mean? Well, the word pray uh, in the Greek actually means it, it's referencing somebody who comes close to another and who, who's, who's really wanting to understand their heart, their opinions, kind of their leanings on something, so they come really close to them, they get their attention, they pour out their thoughts, they pour out their needs, they pour out their desires, and they do so in anticipation, waiting for how the other person will respond. You know what I'm talking about because you have those times where you're calling your friend or you're calling somebody, dude, I just need, I just need some time, can we grab some coffee? And you're waiting for the right moment after the niceties, and you're saying, Hey, listen, thanks for coming. Here's what I want to say. And you're just downloading everything that's going on. That's really what the word prayer means. It's not just saying a prayer, it's not just kind of being in an attitude of prayer it's kind of uncorking your heart and being super real and honest with God and saying, here's where I'm at. And it says, listen, people ought to come into a relational exchange with God that we call prayer and literally just empty themselves, just dive in deep and then do so listening to what the Lord's gonna say and it says you should do that without losing heart. These are actually two words that are mushed together to make a really important statement because it's describing somebody that's so weighed down by the problem. They want to come download this, and maybe they already have, but they're so weighed down by the problem that literally all of their strength, all of the fight, all of the kind of the the tenacity is draining out of them, and they're they're literally ready to throw in the towel. And and they're taking on this victim's mentality, right? That, you know, I don't think I can ever win, and everybody's just against me, and I I just don't ever think it's ever going to work, which, by the way, is really, really bad because it's just going to make the situation worse for them. And it's gonna make it worse for everybody who's around them now as they're swimming in this despair. And even if you throw them a life raft, you know they, they're not gonna grab it. And so because they're in this mentality now. Okay, so here's the point Jesus is making. We have to get to the place in our relationship with God That we're willing to come to him based on the general knowledge of the word of God. We're willing to come to him in honesty and in just openness of heart and say, look, here's where I'm at. Here's what's going on. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I'm experiencing. Here's my anxieties. Here's my fears. And this is what the Bible said. Talk to me. Talk to me. And the Bible says God will. But as you get into that, that relationship of faith, as you're wrestling through that, and the Holy Spirit begins to drop little seeds, here's a thought, here's an inspiration. Remember that verse over there? Mem- remember what Pastor Gill said on Sunday? Remember what you heard from that podcast? Remember when you were singing that song and all of a sudden you realize, hey, I'm singing words that I'm not even sure I'm living out. Remember those times and the Holy Spirit reminds you, he says, listen to me, you've got to grab hold of that and you have to not let yourself get discouraged but keep coming back to, nope, but God said, nope, but God said. Okay, that's the point Jesus is trying to make and he's gonna tell a story to help you understand what happens in the middle of your, of your life adventure so that we can be able to grab hold and continue to pray and never lose heart. Here's the story, verse number two, Luke 18. There was a certain city judge who did not fear God nor regard man, not a good guy. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And notice this guy, and he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, so nobody heard him, he said within himself, though I do not fear God, Nor I don't regard man, yet because the widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she wearies me. In other words, oh my gosh, it's not her again. I'm so tired of seeing her in my courtroom, fine, I'm going to do what she wants, not because I care about her or anybody else, I'm going to do it just to get her out of here because she's exhausting to me, I don't want to keep having to wrestle And listen, that was the story. Now, Jesus said, Then the Lord said, Did you hear what the unjust judge said? And shall not God avenge his own elect who cries out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? Verse 8 I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? All right, let's go back through that real quick. Here's the three truths. Truth number one, God is not unjust or uncaring. He's not. And I don't know that any Christian really postures him that way, but they kind of give him this neutral zone that he he lives in, right? So we can pray, and sometimes the Lord, yeah, he just doesn't even pay attention. We're asking him for something, but we really need this. And and God, in his sovereignty, just kind of brushes us off like, yeah, you, you can handle it, you're okay, you're fine. And they even come up with supporting verses for that. he's kind of like the unjust judge, right? It's like, okay, fine. If you'll just, if if they keep praying long enough and they keep begging him and they just hang in there and hang in their hangar, God will finally say, fine, fine, okay, fine. Because you prayed long enough, because you just won't let me alone, fine, I'll do what you say. And Jesus says, nope, that's not like the Heavenly Father at all. You don't know the righteous judge of the earth, he says God is not unjust nor uncaring. In fact, this is what he says in verse six. Then the Lord said, do you hear what the unjust judge said? And shall not God avenge his own elect who cries out day and night to him, though he bears long? Listen to what it what it reads in the expanded version of the Bible. The Lord said, listen to what the unfair just uh, judge said. God will always give what is right to his people who cry out to him day and night, and he will not be slow to answer them. Now, that's really important because that doesn't mean the same as that as soon as God hears you, God will just give you what you're asking for. That's not the promise. The promise is that God won't ignore you. At the moment you begin praying earnestly, the moment you lay this out and you say, and by the way, you know the, the, your Bible says, "This is your promise to me, listen, God responds quickly to the conversation. He can't always do what you want right away because there's other factors involved, but He will never leave you hanging if you'll listen then God will always begin a conversation and, and you can begin to understand that. And, and we're gonna see that play out as we keep going. But again, this is what we talked about earlier. As parents, our kids, you know, in, in their growing up years, you know, I want this and I want that. And you say, hey, listen, I'm, I want you to have all those wonderful things, but you need to understand. And of course, we, they struggle to hear that. All they can hear is, so you're saying no. Well, well no, I'm not saying no, I'm just saying not yet. I'm saying tomorrow, I'm saying in a week, I'm saying, wait, wait until we get this taken care of and then we can do that. But it's really hard in their immaturity for them to hear that just like it's hard in ours. All we want to hear is yes, how quickly can you get it to me? And the Bible says, God's not unjust. He's not caring. He's not uncaring. Here's number two. God responds to our prayers swiftly. In fact, Luke 18 verse 8, the first part says, this is Jesus talking, he says, I'm telling you they w- that he will avenge them speedily. In fact, the same thing that Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9, he says, the Lord really isn't being slow about his promise, at least not as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. Now, if you read the whole context, he's talking about his second coming. I've been hearing since I was a little kid, Jesus is coming soon. I'm saying it to you now because all the signs in in Matthew 24 and 1 Timothy chapter four and 2 Timothy chapter three, all of them are just accelerating and coming together. And according to the Bible, that's our signals. It's coming really soon. But there is a chance that I'll go on to be with the Lord in a number of years and the next generation will come and say, Jesus is coming soon. And he says, listen, don't think the Lord's just taking his time, at least not in the way we think. God's looking at a bigger picture. He wants us to experience all of his blessing and he wants us to experience what he has for us. But there's a lot of factors and like every good parent, he's waiting for the right time and the perfect scenario. But listen, as soon as you begin to talk to him, he'll talk to you about that. I can promise you, some of you are asking the Lord for more finances, and he's whispering to you, love to do it, willing to do it, let me help you with budget. And we don't like to hear that. No, no, you don't understand, Lord, if you just give me more money, then I can make budget. Yeah, we've been trying that for a lot of years now. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, he's a loving father, he's generous, he's generous. He's he's not stingy. If you don't believe me, wait till we get to heaven and you're gonna be drop jaw like, oh my goodness. I'm telling you, he's not stingy. But he talks to us about different areas and we don't feel like they're connected and so we don't know how to enter into trust and this is what Jesus is trying to get us to understand. In fact, listen to this promise in 1 John chapter five. Most Christians don't even know what to do with this and it's because they don't understand the personal relationship of faith They haven't stepped into what it means to kind of have this conversation and then plant your feet and wrestle it out with the Lord. They don't understand that. They understand it in other relationships. They might not be doing it because it's messy, but they understand how it works. They just don't bring it to this relationship, even though the New Testament's very clear. Listen to 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. It says, now this is the confidence that we have in him, not an insecurity, not ambiguous. This is what we know for sure. We know that we know that we know this is the confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, we know he hears us. Stop. Well, how do I know it's according to his will? That's what the prayer's for. That's what the Bible open in front of you saying, well, Lord, you promised me this. And so I'm, I'm asking you for that. I need that in my life. And you begin to talk to the Holy Spirit and he begins to whisper little tiny things to you. That's the conversation. And as you get through that conversation, you have the general knowledge of God and now you have a personal word from the Holy Spirit. Okay, here's what I know. He's going to help me get my budget together. And as I get my budget together and I begin to demonstrate stewardship the way he's telling me to, then I know that God's going to meet all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Because that's the word of God. That's the promise. And so you can step out to that. And so this says, here's what we can be confident about. If we ask anything according to his will, then we know that he hears us. And here's the best part. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask we know that we have the petitions that we can ask of him. That's faith. That's faith. Pastor, God, what are you doing about that? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, you know, here's what the word of God says, but I've been praying about that and the Holy Spirit, you know, is, is, is talking to me about this. And so I'm working on this thing over here and I'm just absolutely confident God's gonna walk me through this. Like, like how, how, how can you be confident? Because God's faithful. Because he said he would. Because I've been talking to him about this and he doesn't lie to me. He jumps in a conversation like any good dad would. He takes the time and says, let's talk about that. And then he leans in. Here's our last one, number three. It says, we must stand in faith no matter what. Now, here's the climax of the story that most Christians miss. And this is the most important one because it it pulls all of this faith relationship together. Listen to verse uh, verse 8, the back half of Luke 18. Jesus is talking. And he says, "Okay, here's an unjust judge, not listening, and, and the lady's just got to force him to, you know, finally pay attention." He said, "Yeah, God's not like that." And, and then, then the thing, you know, it's just happened for a long time. It took a long. Yep, God's not like that either. And then he comes back and he says, "Nevertheless," in other words, whether your answer comes fast or this is taking a long time. Or there's other conversations that God wants to have. And you're like, yeah, but I want to get to that. And God's delaying you with other conversations. He says, nevertheless, here's the big question. When the son of man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Now let me ask you a penetrating question. Very personal, okay? Don't answer. Between you and the Lord. Is your trust, I'm not talking about this broad religious thing. Is your actual confidence and trust in a living savior, the relationship you have, is it based on the fact that you got a quick answer? Is it based on the fact that you saw other people get a quick answer? Or are you being challenged because you didn't see other people get the answer? Or because this has taken way longer than you thought? Or because God keeps changing the conversation and the topic? What's your faith based on? Because faith is a real relationship. And I'm telling you, if you can depend on anybody, you can depend on God who promises over and over. I'm telling you the truth. I won't lie to you. If I said it, I promise you, I will make good on it. So much so that we did a whole series. He signed a contract in the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, so that you and I could be confident. Oh, no, no. He'll never lie to me. He means exactly what he says. But you and I have to learn to enter to enter into a partnership of faith, because once you're convinced that God's telling the truth, once you've got a word, a little seed planted from the Holy Spirit, then something happens in your heart. It's a substance, it's a confidence, and you can stand on that for as long as it takes, until God does what He said. Even if you draw your last breath and you never saw it happen, then you'll go into heaven saying, "Well, then it must be for my kids. It must be for the next generation." Here's a question for you again, don't answer it. Just let it be rhetorical. How many of you, if the Lord showed up this morning in a very real and tangible way and he whispered to you and he said, hey, listen, if you'll do this and this, then I will not only change and transform your life in in a wonderful way that you can't imagine, but I'll make sure that that transformation echoes into the life of your kids and your grandkids. How many of you would at least stop and consider that? I mean, if you knew that God was telling the truth, you knew he was real, and you, there was no shadow of doubts here if God was saying, trust me in this. Not only will I change your life, but I'll make sure the life of your children and the life of your grandchildren can benefit from this. You're gonna leave a legacy because you're trusting me. How many of you would do it? And I'm just gonna tell you the answer. If anybody who's got any kind of purity in would be like everybody, absolutely I would. Listen to me. That's exactly what God's asking you. That's exactly what this life of faith is about. It's not always about you. It's not always fun, it's not always convenient, and it's oftentimes pretty involved and complex, spread over multiple generations, and multiple family units, and multiple relationships, and the Holy Spirit's trying to talk to you about it. But again, we think in these little situations, these little circumstances, and God's thinking in seasons, God's thinking in generations about legacies and eternity, the life of faith is real and we need to learn to partner in faith with the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been blessed by God's word this morning. Stand to your feet, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, as we walk out of here, Holy Spirit, you're the one who leads us into all the truth. You're the teacher. I'm trying my best to give the message that I believe you helped me to pull together, but you're the teacher. You're the one who speaks beyond all the reason and the rationale you get into the heart of hearts in every single one of us. And I'm praying this morning that all the religion, all the past experiences, all the entanglement, all the excuses, all the opinions, all the other outside information that is trying to cloud the issue, that you just brush all of that to the side long enough to get to the soft soil of our heart. Would you plant the truth about a partnership of faith down in each one of us? Would you give us the momentary invigoration, the momentary jump to be able to lean out and say, Lord, I'm going to do it different. I'm really going to trust you. And then sustain us as we continue to grow and we learn about what faith is. We trust you in this. In Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe. And check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.